Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry, where we tackle social, political, and cultural issues from the perspective of unapologetic guests while highlighting citizen activists doing amazing things throughout the country. On today's episode, you'll hear my conversation with Aaron Brockovich. Yes, the Aaron Brockovich. We talk about Hinckley, the Flint water crisis, and what's going to happen to our environment if we don't start paying attention and taking action to save it. I could have talked to Aaron for hours. She is so inspiring and brilliant. Hi, I'm Aaron Brockovich, and I'm fighting for clean water. Sorry? Oh, hell no. Not sorry. passionate about the environment, even if they don't know it, I feel like. Yeah. Even the most conservative people, I think, like to go outside and listen to the birds and, and oh, or do. go to the beach or, you know, but they don't connect the dots that a lot of what we're dealing with in this country as far as injustices are happening because of environmental negligence. About eight years ago, I started plotting locations on a map for the following reason. I still get thousands of emails a month from 126 different countries and territories. So this is not only America's issue, it's our planet's issue. Of course. And I would see a mother write to me, you know, I'm concerned about my young girl, Mary. She's nine years old. She's been diagnosed with leukemia. And I'm from Townsville in Florida. It could be any town. I'm just Mm -hmm. throwing out something made up. And I'm like, oh, you know, definitely that moves my heartstring. We know it's very disturbing. None of us want cancer, and it's really horrible to see in our children. And then the following week, I have two more emails from the same location. Now, unbeknownst to these people, they're all emailing me. So I run a query in my system on this town, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have eight families from the same location with eight different children, and they all have the same cancer. So I started plotting them. I have so many people reporting to my map today, and I, on the front public page, you will only see the dots. That's those right. people reporting live. You're not going to see all the back information, right. and I'll get to that in a second. I can't see the United States of America. So many dots. Here's what's going on. One, we don't monitor migratory pathways. What does that mean? So by way of example, Hinkley, California. They did a study out of Loma Linda, and they did not report that they basically found a cancer cluster in Hinkley. They only had 98% accuracy, and if it wasn't 100%, they weren't going to report it. So there was an article in the LA Times or something, Aaron Brockovich was wrong, there's no cancer here. Right. And I'm like, oh boy, here we go again. Because A, I didn't get involved in Hinkley to find out whether there was or wasn't cancer. The moment I met the people, loved these people, they just wanted a clean, nice life for themselves and their children. And I saw two-headed frog in green water. I'm like, yeah, no. You, you, hello, Houston, we do have a problem. Yeah. Something's not right here. But I called the people that did the study and I said, I want to ask you a few questions about that. A, 
how many cancers did you believe you were going to find and how they come to these like, quote unquote, arbitrary numbers? I'm not sure, but they were projecting in Hinkley that it would be 221. I said, how many did you find? 197. I go, okay, so can I ask you a few questions? Did you, what years did you look at? 92 to 96. I go, so you didn't look anywhere in the 80s or 70s? No. Did you track those people? No. I said, well, I'm interested in this, and here's why. You found 197, 198. It was somewhere right around that number. Um, They were expecting 221. But I had 110 people who had moved away Mm. and reported back to me Mm -hmm. that they had cancer. So that's 110 people to 196, 197. I may not be good at math, but I think you exceeded 221. You missed a data set because people move away. And remember, chemicals have a long latency period. So you could graduate high school in Hinkley, move to Florida, and come down with cancer 15 years later. And that disease gets reported to the state in which you reside not where you're from. Aren't you doing the work that the EPA should be doing? Not the EPA, possibly the CDC, but here's I, the And they're not, doing, they're not doing this work as extensively as you are, correct? Well, here's the deal. Okay. So right before President Obama left office, the Toxic Substance Control Act went, over an, went through an entire overhaul. Within that overhaul, President Obama at the time created a law called Trevor's Law, which is to create a national registry cancer database. Did you know we don't have one? Mm-mm. We don't. Every state does. But guess what? The state can't share that information because of HIPAA. Oy, oy, oy. So through self-reporting, we can find missing data sets. And that's what's happening with the map. People are self-reporting and they're going, oh my gosh, I grew up in Waycross, Georgia. I have cancer too. I didn't know that. So now the, the numbers that they're looking at are skewed as subsets of hundreds more report back that they did in fact have a cluster. By way of example is Fridley, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. 3M is up there. Everybody's on Wellwater. It's absolutely a super fun site. Mm. Nobody will get involved in litigation because you're going to blame that defendant versus that defendant, and then we're going to be in court for 20 years. We went out there, organized the community, and they created a Facebook group. That Facebook group became five to 7,000 strong in a matter of a couple of months. What shocked us was of those five to 7,000 that were reporting back, 900 who grew up there had cancer. That's 900 people that were never reported to the state of Minnesota. I got one email from Aaron Brockovich earlier this year. I've been fighting for a year or better and been thrown out of many uh, council members by the, uh, the sheriff's department for speaking up. I just wanted to say on a medical aspect of it, um, I work at the University of Minnesota. Uh, my first cancer, I did treatment through Mayo. My second, I did it at the University of Minnesota. And your oncologist want to know where you lived, because when I brought up two weeks ago at my last appointment, um, I live in Fridley, I live on this super fun site, really close 
all the things that I've did in my life, he's like, wow, how come you didn't bring this up before? They are aware. They want to know because your type of cancer is affected by every different toxin and carcinogen in your cancer if you're on... Um, if you sign up when you've been diagnosed of your type of cancer to have research done, which I did just because I was so young and the two types of cancer, um, they track that back. They have tissue. They can find what it is and narrow it down to what type and where you got it from. We have 3M over there, same chemicals in the water. We've worked with the health department. Actually, I just spoke with the gentleman a minute ago. I need to encourage those of you that are here as legislators, potential legislators, senators, um, we will stand up, but we need you to stand up too. Because I've watched over and over our legislative body fall over to the corporate power that we have in this state. Are, are other diseases being tracked as well, or is it just primarily cancer? Other diseases, we're looking at air, people will report other diseases. You know, we had a lot of people report on the toxic algae bloom. So what happens for us is the way, uh, I have a partner in um, D.C., and she's Booz Allen girl, smart girl, and this her software that's powering my map. It lets us know, hey, it, it, over yeah. here, we got a lot of reports coming in, what's going on? So I can now see you. And I can begin to do research and we can begin to start pushing more people to that direction and getting to that community. I assure you, in every one of these communities and every single time, there will be one to five to ten mothers that will take charge, that will get that community together, will get to neighbors. 100%. 100%. Yes, I totally agree with you. And we have to ignite them. And if we can light up all these communities and ignite them, and at a local level start to implement change, we don't have to wait for the top to trickle it down. We could all be dead by then. So, so we have to take the action. Is there any accountability for these companies that contaminate the water? There is. Well, I mean, obviously there's litigation, but you know. But there's what, no there's no penalty where we're if the results are higher than they should be, nobody's penalizing them as far as like you now owe a hundred million dollars to Well, we're supposed to, but here again, that's there's no enforcement on those on those laws. And a lot of times these companies who are worth billions of dollars, you know, we could talk about Monsanto and glyphosate. They can sustain those hits. It goes back, they have the old Ford Pinto theory. Do you remember the Ford Pinto theory? About being hit from behind? Yes. Yeah. And um, how the gas tanks were exploding? Yeah. Well, they had a whole kind of corporate mentality that it was cheaper to run it to the end and pay some litigations than it was to fix the problem. I've seen PG&E do this repeatedly. It's a very bad corporate model. There is plenty of room for corporate America to stand up and be the citizens we know they can be and work with these people. It's got the, tran the transparency must exist and it's the deceptions and it's the secrets that kill. I'm wondering what you think of the term, and I'm going to go back to this because I think, I think our listeners are interested environmental racism. Does that exist? Oh, sure. 
everywhere, especially when they think that they can get away with it. When we think of racial injustice, we think police brutality or the criminal justice system. But what about our air and water? Environmental racism. It's about policies and practices that discriminate against communities of color by making them live near landfills, sewage plants, and other polluting facilities. And while poverty has a lot to do with it, the leading environmental justice expert told me this. Racism trumps class. Even middle-income African Americans are more likely to live in more polluted neighborhoods. In fact, one study found that black Americans making fifty to $60,000 a year are more likely to live in polluted neighborhoods than white Americans who make just $10,000 a year. Zip code is the most powerful predictor of health. And all communities and all zip codes are not created equal. When I was in Hinckley, I'm pretty in tune to suppression, and I don't like it. You want to set me off? push on me. And here's why. I'm a dyslexic. Me too. Me too. I was oh so happy God, when I so... read, I mean, not happy for you, but happy that <laughs> I'm happy for <laughs> you too. <laughs> when I read that, I was like, oh, she gets it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, back in my day, no one really understood dyslexia. So because I didn't fit into that nice, neat little box, I was therefore suppressed on, seen as different. Mm -hmm. I was labeled. I was judged. This is part of the problem we have, if not, for me, one of the biggest problems that I think we have. When I was out in Hinckley, because I didn't fit the, I don't know, idea mm -hmm. of what somebody is supposed to be able to speak about, I right. was often told, you're not a doctor, you're not a lawyer, you're not a scientist, you're some bimbo running around in short skirt and stiletto heels, what do you know? I was pretty taken back, and I'm like, oh, boy. This is so eerie for me. I've been here before. I've been there before in the educational system with the dyslexia. My mom always taught me to have stick-to-itiveness. All of this was coming back for me. And I'm like, mm, I'm going to have to rise up. I'm going to have to find that stick-to-itiveness. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't have to be any of that. To be a human and to see what's going on out here is wrong. And what happens for these communities is when they hear that, it's the, oh, you know what? I don't want to bring it up. Somebody's going to think I'm stupid. Oh, I don't want to say anything. I'm going to be told I'm crazy. They're going to laugh at me. They're going to make fun of me. And we back up and we shut up. When you feel that suppression, I want you to move into it. And don't be afraid. You, you know your child. You know your health. You know your community. You own it. And when you see it, you say it. And don't let somebody knock you off your game because you don't have a particular degree or dress a certain way or fit a certain bill. You can learn science. You can get educated. You can become aware. Oh, my gosh, we have Google at our hand. Now, Dr. Google can scare you once in a while, <laughs> but you can use Google definitely to your advantage to be informed. And let me tell you, when you own it and you inform yourself – you will become empowered. And I see it happening everywhere. But we're so afraid because we get the label or the judgment or the perceptions that we're this or that. You know, my mom always taught me, just because somebody else sees you as different or inferior or a loser, it doesn't have to be how you see yourself. Mm -hmm. And so we can speak up. And I love watching the mothers and the women across this country. You know, you can see when that light bulb comes on and I'm like, oop, 
there they go. There they go, and, oh, yeah. And once they go, just stand aside because they're going to go. And they do it. And Hinkley, my dyslexia, which I thought would be my downfall in life, became my gift. That flaw was my strength. And I figured that out in Hinkley. I work backwards. So one of the very first documents I read was by a group called Environment and Ecology. Okay, it was dated 1992. I was just getting involved out there in 1992. And the one paragraph that set me off said the following, dated 1992, that the monitoring wells in the area still had five ppm hex chrome. That, by definition, is legally hazardous waste. And then it went on to say that 90% of the chromate had already been removed via domestic water use. I go, wait a second. Wait a second. Because there was this whole fight going on. Levels weren't high enough to cause cancer. I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, my God. It's 1992. It's 5 ppm. 90% has been removed. What was it in 82? What was it in 72? What was it in 62? So I started working backwards. And I found the original document in 1958. The levels of hexavalent chromium that hit the plume were 58 ppm. Boom. You know, it's like the song from Men in Black. To understand the future, you got to go back in time. And that's exactly where I went. And that's how I think. So when you think your flaw is your failure, embrace it. That flaw is probably your greatest gift. I may not have a law degree, but I've spent 18 months on this case, and I know more about these plaintiffs than you ever will. Aaron, you don't even have phone numbers for some of them. Whose number do you need? Everyone's. This is a lawsuit. We need to be able to contact the plaintiffs. I said, whose number do you need? You don't know 600 plaintiffs' numbers by heart. Annabelle Daniels. Annabelle Daniels, 714-454-9346. 10 years old, 11 in May. Lived on the plume since birth. Wanted to be a synchronized swimmer, so she spent every minute she could in the PG&E pool. She had a tumor in her brainstem detected last November. An operation on Thanksgiving shrunk it with radiation after that. Her parents are Ted and Rita. Ted's got Crohn's disease. Rita has chronic headaches and nausea and underwent a hysterectomy last fall. Ted grew up in Hinkley. His brother Robbie and his wife May and their five children, Robbie Jr., Martha, Ed, Rose, and Peter, also lived on the plume. Their number is 454-9554. You want their diseases? Hinkley taught us that corporations can hide information. Flint taught us governments can hide information. Yes. Oh, oh boy, what a kick in the gut they have had. And two of the ladies contacted me a year before Flint ever became what you know it to be today. And I happened to be in Australia, so I bounced it to my water expert. And we both read between the lines immediately. And he got right there. And he did a protocol for the city on what not to do. And they just basically told us to F off. And they did it anyway. Flint switched river waters, which you cannot do. The owner of this house, Leanne Walters, first called the EPA last spring to sound the alarm. Her children had been diagnosed with lead poisoning. She says city officials had already told her the pipes inside her home were the problem. But she knew all the pipes were plastic. No way it's coming from the home. 
No way. Yeah. It was coming from the outside. We knew there had to be a lead line somewhere. It was this EPA investigator, Miguel Del Toro, who performed tests and found the high levels of lead were due to switching the city's water from Lake Huron to the Flint River. Around this time, complaints is skyrocketing. Discolored and foul-smelling water coming from residents' taps. Del Toro made a stunning discovery. The river water was not being treated with special additives that help keep the lead out. No lead, not even a little bit, is acceptable because we know more than ever what it does to the body. When lead is ingested or inhaled, no organ in the body is spared. Lead even attacks the DNA, affecting not just you, but your future children. All of it essentially irreversible. Now, that's one reason why they had lead. Now, we are dealing with 220 other lead sites as bad, if not worse, than Flint today. And that's because of the use of ammonia. We can talk about that, too. But in Flint, what people don't know, and here is the thing, there is such a disconnect between our powers to be and the laws that are being created and we the people. It's ridiculous. It's like, not even a disconnect. It's like it's been severed. Yeah. And, you know. By design, I'm sure. Many times our senators and congressional leaders actually don't know what's going on in that community until you speak up. And so Flint, people don't realize the lead and copper rule that's been in play under the Safe Drinking Water Act. The lead and copper rule states that you only have to test for lead once every four years. That's it. So for four years, if you got a lot of lead, your kids have been drinking it. And then when you do test, you can average the samples. We have 18 million miles of lead pipe. So if you're switching river waters, you can end up with a flint. The other big problem across this entire country is called chloramines. It's adding ammonia to chlorine. And is that specifically to clean the water, quote unquote? No. So here's, I'll give you a basic 101 in water. Most all of our water comes from surface water, rivers, creeks, tributaries. Some states rely on aquifers. Some states, depending on the time of year, will blend surface water with aquifer water. But when water comes into the municipality, it has organic matter in it. And everyone thinks organic matter, which is some scientific thing. Organic matter is dirt. Organic matter is fish poo. Organic matter is deers that vomit in the rivers and the creeks and the tributaries. So when they bring it in, they have to chlorinate it. I think we all understand that. We don't yeah. want bacterial outbreaks and diseases. Right. When chlorination and organic matter meet, it makes trihalomethanes, THMs, which is a very carcinogenic toxic compound that's supposed to be heavily regulated by the Safe Drinking Water Act and the EPA. Now, when municipalities cannot control their trihalomethanes, instead of putting the appropriate filtration systems on to do that, they decided to add ammonia to the huh. system. Are you fucking kidding me? No. Someone thought this was a great idea. Yeah. And this is a problem across this country. So when you add ammonia, and we want to add less chemicals to our water, not more. 
The first thing that we're seeing is it renders the chlorination less effective, which is why we believe we're seeing large outbreaks of Legionnaire disease. People think Legionnaire is airborne. No, it's not. It's waterborne. waterborne. We're seeing large outbreaks down in Louisiana of brain-eating amoebas. These are real things. What is that? It's a bacteria. And if you inhale and gets up your nose, the bacteria will literally like destroy the brain. Mm. We've had a couple of deaths already. So we need to be really cautious in this country about bacterial and viral, you know, viruses in our water system. It's going to be a big deal. You might even be more surprised in the book. You're going to find out how little it is they are actually reporting and sharing with us about these situations because, see, everyone's going to go, we don't want public panic. I don't want public panic either. But we have to inform communities of what's going on or they can't protect and defend themselves. And I think that's really important for them to I do. I totally agree with you. I think public panic is probably a necessary emotion at this point. Well, it is, and we can do it constructively. We don't have to know the chicken little, the sky is falling. Right. But we need to have this conversation, and it's real. And it needs to be a dire conversation. It needs it, to be it as, as serious of a conversation as the issue actually is. Well, as I said, you know, in my interview with Mind, Body, Green, and they'd put in there, the CDC said this will be the problem of the decades to come. We fought the city and the state, saying there was something wrong, and we were dismissed. I decided we need to get to the science if anyone was ever going to believe us. I started researching and educating myself about water. I had three tests done by the city of Flint, using extra steps that tend to minimize lead in water. Those numbers were 104 parts per billion, 397 parts per billion, and 707 parts per billion. I contacted the EPA and started working with Miguel Del Toro and Jennifer Crooks at the EPA. Mr. Del Toro was very thorough and knowledgeable in assisting me. I told Mr. Del Toro I did not believe there was corrosion control in the water, provided him documentation about this fact, and he verified my findings, and he was furious. Mr. Del Toro questioned the MDEQ, and at first they lied, and then later admitted the truth. I figured out that Ms. Crooks was aiding the MDEQ with her lies, and Mr. Del Toro was the only one willing to address the problem. I requested a copy of Mr. Del Toro's report, and I made it public because people had a right to know. Here are the facts. After the tragedy in D.C. from 2001 to 2006, where children were poisoned by lead and water, the EPA should have immediately closed the loopholes to protect all citizens. Had the EPA closed the loopholes, then it could have 100% prevented what just took place in Flint. EPA has failed to protect people by refusing to ban partial lead service line replacements. The EPA's LCR national report from 2006 states that the lack of system response for lead exceedance is especially true to inform the public. It is done less than one-third of the time. For my research, I have found that this is not a Flint problem or a rare anomaly. This is a national problem. It is impossible to overstate what an intimate betrayal it is when a community is poisoned by their own drinking water, whether that's the caused by simple negligence or because some corner cutting company is blinded by profit or in the city of Flint's case because public officials, the very ones charged with protecting the public good, 
make a disastrous choice to break a crucial environmental law and then follow it up with 18 months of delay and cover-up. Even as citizens noticed something was wrong and were asking questions and pushing back on them. It puts a staggering number of people in peril and it is and it is a threat that invades the most the most intimate parts of their lives i mean their very bodies their homes their family meals the the baths they give their children the in the formula they feed their infants so the municipalities now are adding ammonia And it creates a much more corrosive and caustic distribution system. So when that happens, see, in Flint River water was caustic and corrosive. Adding ammonia to the system makes this whole distribution system we've talked about, 18 million miles of which is lead pipes. Let's talk about this unregulated system that nobody's monitoring or watching. It causes all the iron, lead, and manganese to precipitate out of the pipes is delivered straight to your tap. So this distribution system needs to become a very big topic. So when we talk about the pipes in Flint, we're really talking about the pipes in the entire country. Yes, we have an infrastructure issue. You know, America is, what, 200 years old? Mm -hmm. These pipes are, they're old. They're corroded. We have failing infrastructures. And for some reason, we've not made America's infrastructure, our water, and our health and welfare a national priority. And then you add on to it that someone also thought it was a good idea to start fracking. I want to talk about what that's doing to our water supply system. Oh my gosh. Well, let's see. So I'm going to make sure you get the first copy of my book. Please. Uh, I hope you'll have me back. I hope we will continue (laughs) to have these conversations so we can inform others. But fracking is a huge problem. Um, All these chemicals are a huge problem. You know, hexavalent chromium, trichloroethylene, benzene, PFOA, PFOS. There's a plethora, and we've got about a good 20 to 30 chemicals that we know cause cancer. They're just running rampant in the water, and fracking has not helped. You know, the old idea, my father was an engineer. Mm -hmm. I was born and raised in Kansas. He actually ran the pipelines for Texaco. I learned a lot from him. And The old adage, solution to pollution is dilution. Solution to pollution is dilution. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. No. And it will find its way. So that is sort of the theory of of diluting it and putting it back. Because we don't know what to do. That is the $64,000 question. What are we going to do with all of our hazardous waste? So historically, it's been dumping in creeks and rivers and tributaries and burying it and hiding it and doing it at night. Where do you think all that pollution's gone? How do you not become completely overwhelmed in this? I and, am. But but you're not paralyzed by it. You're motivated. What What is it about you that enables that transition? The people, always. Because everywhere I go, even in Hinkley, the support of the law firms and Ed Masry to getting the people ignited. See, we became one me, then Roberta Walker two, then we became five and 50 and 100 and 200 and 300. So we began to be support and inspirational to each other. We realized we're not crazy. We're all seeing this. And when the movie came out, I was struck. I sat in the back row. Nobody knew me. Um, That must have been so wild for you. 
it, it's still very weird for me. I'm so proud, though, because it's, it's a platform that we can all work from. I feel like... To make it better. There are certain people in this world where they are, um, by design, messengers. And eventually every... Yeah, it's a calling. I feel it. Eventually everything has to happen. Everything falls into place to allow those messengers to rise to the surface, often by hardships or just the struggle alone. And I feel like that you are a perfect example of a messenger. Yeah, you know, sometimes I, I'm just dri- I'm just drawn. I'm just driven. I can't ever tell you why, but I love the environment. I love the water. I love the animals. I love the ecosystem. If you just look at it by nature's design, it's flawless. We're the ones fucking it up. Where did we go wrong? Can ego. You, ego. Man's always. greatest stumbling block, right? Always the ego. <laughs> we always think we're better or smarter. And, and are other countries doing this better than we are? Or is this a struggle throughout the world? I think parts of Europe are doing things better than we are. Uh, certainly as far as uh, what are FDA. They doing okay. they're, they're requiring studies first. They're, they're pulling things off the market faster. Like Europe, hexvalent chromium, which I'm known for. And and to go back real quick, sitting in the movie theater, listening to people as they were leaving, it was, oh my gosh, do you think that could be me? What if it is us? And then to hear people say, I could be her. Well, you know what? You already are her. And Aaron mm-hmm. Brockovich for me has just been about everywhere I go, I want to break out in song. I am you, you are me. Yeah. We are here all together. You know, I am the walrus. Yeah. It's true. Cuckoo, cuckoo. Yeah, <laughs> I believe that too. It's so I believe true. That too. And, and but like you have there to believe in yourself. In our environment, I also it believe is. there's there's a system within us, within us, absolutely, and within our communities, absolutely. And and you can rise. But here's the thing: there is hope. It's everywhere, and we are the hope, especially when you turn inward and you believe. I tell people, don't look for a hero. Be it. You already are it. You just got to believe that you are. Hannibal, Missouri comes to mind, and it will be a story that we share. Home of Mark Twain. Okay? They had lead levels as high as Flint. And one woman came to us, and my water expert, Bob Bocock, went out there, and he started working with her and teaching her about ammonia in their system, because that's what they were doing. And what it was doing to the distribution. And every mother knows, I don't want my children drinking lead. I don't want to drink lead, but mothers go right to their kids. So she became one and then three and then five and then eight. And then Bob went back again. And then I went out and we're giving them information. They're becoming informed, educated, aware. They're learning science. They're fascinated. We all can learn it. science. We can. You just have to believe that you can. I mean, if a better future for our children is what motivates you, then use it. Absolutely. That's what every single mother, I, I, what about my kids? What about my kids? You know that fear that you're feeling right now about what about your kids' future? Mm-hmm. Use that, whether it's gun violence, whether it's college tuition, Absolutely. What, whatever it is, use it to create and change. And be pissed off. Yeah, That's okay. To be okay. Pissed. Yeah. And- channel that constructively. And so the women in Hannibal did that. And they're like, we want to do more. And we said, have you ever thought of running for office? Oh, no, I couldn't be involved in politics. We're talking about how about city council? Well, we have elections coming up. Well, one of them ran. Amazing. Amazing. And she won. (gasps) So now she's on the city council. She's 
well-diversed into ammonia. She's educated her community. They got a referendum, put it out to ballot. Everyone vote ammonia, yes or no, unanimously. No. Amazing. Now they have lead-free water. They didn't wait for some orders to come down out of a federal government or at a state level. So many things are born in your own backyard at your own city council. And I encourage people, show up. Have you ever been to a city council meeting? Yeah, they're amazing. (laughs) They can be amazing, and you can go in there, and there's no one there, and they're just talking to themselves because they don't know what's going on if you don't come in and be a part them. of that. And and people don't realize the the community infrastructure that goes on in those meetings. It's it's crosswalks, it's stoplights. I mean, it's school crossings. It's oh, every it's neighborhood watch. Neighborhood watch. It's every part of your community happens at those city, city council yes. meetings. And um, you can be a part of it and I I want this this division or this separation that we think we can't do that. My job is I was I had the privilege of passing the Olympic torch. I was terrified. And it wasn't until I can't imagine you ever terrified. Oh, I was. I was so nervous. Basically because it was raining and I knew my mascara would be everywhere and I was kind of <laughs> looked stupid and I didn't know where to go and what to do. And I'm like, oh, no. but the moment I got that torch put into my hand, I just turned around and I I didn't even know where I was going, but I went, yes, I, you felt I know it. where I'm going. You felt it. And to pass that torch off to everyone, nobody knows, and I said it before and I'm going to say it again, you better than you. For mothers, nobody knows that child better than you. When you are planted and you see what you see and you know what you know and you feel. We're taught not to listen to that. That's the one thing I don't want you to move away from. I've relied on that my whole life. I also think that the way technology is, we look for answers through our devices rather than searching our own being in our gut. You can feel it. Yeah. If you'll tap into it. And you know, the Shirley MacLaine, ooh, dee, 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 dee. you know, somebody always coming along and do that. And I'm like, oh, you know what? Hush up. I mean, it's real. I think there's an amazing moment in this country where we're waking up, hence my book, Superman's Not Coming. I love that. Once we realize that that and we start taking ownership of ourselves, our backyard, our communities, we can change it. And I'm seeing it happening. And it's never too late. It's it's very frustrating how it's been hidden. But I think that, you know, I I run my Wizard of Oz theory because I'm from Kansas. And (laughs) if you read the book, L. Frank Baum. Yeah fascinates me because he wrote the book as a way to teach his children the power of individualism and thinking and acting for oneself as the country was beginning to speak for them. Mm. And so if you know the story of the Carly Lion, the Tin Man, all of it, we've been there. I think we've been in the poppy fields. I think we've been asleep. Whether we got comfortable, complacent, we're waking up. And here's the thing. We're going to find our way back. And that's to ourselves. How do we find our way back when it seems like this administration is doing everything possible to roll back restrictions and rights? They have definitely been right, left. You know, I never like to get into that argument. I don't think water and public health and welfare should fall into that genre ever. Should not be political. No. Everybody needs clean water. Everybody wants good health. Nobody wants to be poisoned. 
the PFOA, there was a lot of pushback on that. Um, there's been a little bit of a change. Uh, the current administration is definitely, in my opinion, I've said this before, and it makes some people angry, is making, I think, some bad decisions that it will be critical decisions when it comes to our water and public health and welfare. The- is that through the rolling back of, of restrictions through the EPA? Correct. And, and you regulations? Know, Absolutely. You know, we have enough regulations on the book. The problem is we have no enforcement. Right. And if we're not going to come out there and have any oversight or enforcement, what's the point? And the EPA has really well-meaning people in there, and I talk about this a lot. They're overburdened. They're understaffed. They're underfunded. And, I mean, their hands are kind of tied. The Trump administration is about to roll back one of President Barack Obama's signature policies on the environment. A reversal of tougher Obama-era standards for rules on greenhouse gas emissions and fuel economy. He signed this executive order to pave the way to eliminate an Obama administration rule that expanded what waters can be regulated. First and foremost, it's going to replace the Obama-era clean power plan and weaken pollution limits on coal-fired power plants. The Environmental Protection Agency announced the proposal today, saying that the cost of these regulations outweighs the health benefits. You'll, I hope, read my book Of course, next March. You know, we have 30,000 Superfund sites now they can't get to. And this PFOA, as it becomes and is the largest emerging contaminant. What is it exactly? Is it a plastic? Is it's, it a- P, it's part of the PFC. So it's perfluorococcotonic acid, and it's part of a PFC group. So PFOA was manufactured some 30 years ago by 3M. And it's a subset of a family of chemicals called PFCs, which is a concoction of three to five thousand different chemicals. Got it. PFOA is one of them. You would know PFOA as Teflon. It's in everything. PFOS is just as bad. And you would relate to that as firefighting foam. So these chemicals are used in flame retardant, furniture, you know, clothing, Teflon. You may have heard it referred to as C8. Mm -hmm. PFOS is firefighting foam. 30-some years ago, 25 years ago, around there, 3M manufactured this set of PFCs, which is three to 5,000 different chemicals. So we've got the PFOA, the PFOS. Okay. They notified the EPA, this is a bad actor. You might want to keep your eye on it. Really? Yes. I work in Australia a lot, and I've got documents from our EPA in the 90s letting Australia know, better keep your eye on this. A, it's so pervasive in the environment, it's virtually almost impossible to remove from the environment. Secondly, they've decided, okay, we'll keep an eye on this, and this is how the EPA works. We have 80,000-plus chemicals hitting the marketplace a year, of which the EPA only has a really solid understanding of about 200 of those chemicals. Oh, my God. So each year they're given a budget where they can go and pick the top chemicals that they want to study to see if they do or don't cause cancer. So we introduce them into the environment first, not knowing whether they do or don't cause cancer, and we find out later, which is exactly what happened 
with PFOA. So EPA has now got notice. They set out. They get a budget. They're going to study this chemical in the environment. So they set a guideline, not a maximum contaminant limit, but a guideline of 400 parts per trillion. They let all the municipalities know that you can run this chemical through your system up to 400 parts per trillion. What blows my mind is if it's below 400 parts per trillion, right? The municipalities don't have to report it. They don't have to report it at all. No. So here we go. So what happens is two and a half, three years ago, what I'd like to say and how I say it that's happening today is science is catching up to policy. EPA gets a phone call. All the science is in. Houston, we have a problem. This chemical causes cancer, testicular cancer, thyroid cancer, reproductive issues, reproductive cancers. Um, I said testicular, uh, kidney cancer, excessively high cholesterol, high miscarriages. So now the EPA is like going, oh my gosh. And I'm sitting here reading this. So the EPA is made aware of these clusters throughout the country where, where cancers are more prevalent. Are they made aware of that, or or no. is it that? At what point does the EPA find out about these clusters? The manufacturer, the chemical companies, let them know. We have a chemical. We're going to be using it, and be on notice. It's a bad chemical. So the EPA has to. EPA can't really do anything until they know if it does or doesn't cause cancer. Right. What I think we need to be doing is the EPA needs to be a little bit like the FDA. You're going to do a five to 10 year study first. first. And before you put this into the market, you're going to show us it doesn't cause cancer. So we're doing it ass backwards. So now the EPA has. And how do we fight for that? I mean, that just seems like policy. A- policy well, changes. And that's precisely where we're going to have to go. And I'm going to tell you it can happen. I'm going to show you where it does happen. And, and you'll also tell us how we can make it a, happen as well, citizens absolutely. of this country, how we can make this change, right? Don't take it for granted someone's got your back. Just don't. And we're going to have to wake up and do that ourselves. And we can. And you're seeing it happening everywhere. We're even having this conversation now. I mean, 10 years ago, we wouldn't even be having it. So, you know, there's a lot to be said for Facebook and podcasts and our social new movement can be processed and reached tens of millions of us by doing what we're just doing and understanding how the system works and waking up to the fact that it's almost designed not to work for you. So on the PFOA, PFOS front... Can I ask you another question? Mm -hmm. How much of the pipes are eroded and polluted from these chemicals running through? And has it then become a a plumbing pipe issue like we've seen in Flint, Michigan? Well, that is the trillions and trillions of dollars discussion that we're going to have to have in the United States of America about our failing infrastructure. The second point about what you just asked me that will scare you is there is no oversight or regulations for the distribution system. None. Just got goosebumps. Free play all day long in there. So the municipalities now have to deal with the PFOA. What happens in my world? I get communities from Alabama, 
Pennsylvania, Vermont, New Hampshire, Virginia, West Virginia, Florida, Michigan, Minnesota, Colorado, California, everywhere. Is this why my son has testicular cancer? Is this why my daughter died of kidney cancer? Is this why my wife has thyroid cancer? Over and over and over again. It's just, it will, it's imploding right now. And I think in part why that's happening is these chemicals have long latency periods. Those latency periods are running. We're seeing it. These chemicals are now, as science is catching up to policy and the studies, and these studies take 10 years, 15 years, and they cost millions of dollars. What We've literally shit in our own mess kit. That's what we've done. And now we have a really huge mess. And it's a conversation that needs to happen as uncomfortable as it's going to be. We can't find the solution. We can't fix our problems if we don't know where they are and what they are. We got to get to a real common sense place again. And, you know, I grew up in Kansas. And if I was outside playing and the sky turned dark and tornado sirens went off, I didn't stop to call the Weather Channel to ask if it's an F4 or an F5. I don't care. I need to run. And if our headlines are presenting with an the larger media is just now coming back around to discussing these issues. It's not been in our purview for a very long time. And they need to get that information out to us. But if somebody said your whole municipality was tainted with rat poison, you're not going to call National Institute of Health and ask if it's five parts per trillion right. or seven parts per trillion. Right. A poison is a poison all day long, and I don't want to drink it at any level. I hope we get there eventually. We're having that argument in California with Chrome 6, but we are on a path. And if we can get more momentum and get us to speak out about these issues and get to Washington, and I tell people, call your Congress. We hand out the senators and congressmen and the representatives of those areas' names and phone number. Call them. When we are in numbers, it changes everything. Yeah, it's so true when we're all speaking in one unified yes. voice. Well, just when we're talking about the system in which how it became so broken, right? And and how we're doing things in the opposite direction. I'm wondering if that system is different in low-income communities. Well, I, I just did a, a piece the other day. I don't know if this system fully is designed so we don't find the information or they're inept. Neither's going to work. Neither works. And we talk about this a whole lot. We're just doing it ass backwards. The chemical company and the lobbyists have a huge say up on the hill. Yeah. And we we just going to have to look at that. And the EPAC they're limited in their resources and their funding and their oversight. We have good regulations on the book, right? At some level, we're not enforcing the oversights. If you were, by the way, why aren't you the EPA chief? (laughs) I get asked that all the time. I I mean, I haven't been asked. (laughs) Oh, really? Okay. That's reason for me to at some point lobby for you to be EPA chief, because I think that we'd be so much better off. But if you were, what would you do tomorrow? Like, what would be the first thing you do? I would create task force of the people. 
in those communities and at a city council level to start enacting. That's the first step you have to take. How, what is it? How many of you are there? What diseases we're looking at? And not just assuming, listen, we have to be really honest about this. Cleanup's going to take a long time. And there's a whole lot of it. Infrastructures are failing. It's going to take a long time. What can we do in the short term right now to be more vigilant and protective of health and welfare? That's enabling the people to have a seat at the table. Right. And what do they see? What do they know? There's leaders. The mothers are everywhere. They're dying to just be appointed. What's that job? Give me that task. I'll do it. I would create a task force of the people. Do you think that the lobbyists that are lobbying for chemicals or the chemical companies um, are as powerful as the NRA? Are we dealing with similar? Yes. Yes. So it is safe to say that much like the NRA lobbyists were able to um, make sure that the CDC couldn't study gun violence is there a scenario where you can see the chemical lobbyists preventing the CDC from studying our water system? Yes, it's definitely happened in the past. Do I think that there's openings coming where that could change? Possibly. I do. It won't happen, though, if we don't stay on their okay, so what, ass. So what can people do? That's my last question for you. Let's send everybody off with a really positive um, and, and a task. What can people do? Well, don't think it's not happening. You know, that's the first thing you do. If you see it, don't be afraid to talk to another mother about it. And you know, oftentimes we're not communicating because we yeah. don't want to, because someone's going to think we're stupid or this or that. So what? You know what you see. So I want you to own yourself. And if you see a problem, take the first steps. Talk to another parent. Talk to another neighbor. Talk to a teacher. Go to a principal. If you're seeing this happen to others, get involved with the city council. Don't be afraid to pick up a phone. And oftentimes we don't know, and I am very guilty of this, not always knowing who's in my district. Did somebody just, would I miss an election? Was I out of the country? Who our representatives are and letting them know. And one thing that you have to do that is key, it's the word stick-to-itiveness. I talk about it everywhere I go. My mom taught it to me. She's a journalist and a sociology major. And stick is not something you're born with. It's a habit you're going to have to develop. And its definition is noun. Propensity to follow through in a determined manner. Dogged persistence born of obligation and stubbornness. Now that's most women. I know you're stubborn. <laughs> I know you're dogged. I know you're determined. I know you're persistent. Stay at it. Just because you go to one meeting and fail, go again. And go again. Just because one neighbor doesn't want to hear you, don't be... Keep talking. Keep talking. Don't be afraid to go back to school. That's the thing that's key. I think we want and do get involved. And at the first no or the first door slammed or the first neighbor that makes fun of you, we back off. Don't. That's why I say come into it and keep at it. I could share so many inspirational stories with you. uh, And you too have this power. Very quickly before I go, Esure, which is a medical device, and it's a procedure gone very, very bad. Women came to me years ago. I shared with them there's no litigation because of preemption. They're like, what's that? I'm like, here we go again with the disconnection. Make it your business to know what's going on. Don't assume 
that someone else is doing it. Make it your business. So I explained to them that this chemical got what's called pre-market approval because they showed a five-year study and the FDA let it onto the market. And it was a complete failure. They go, oh, well, hell them no. I'm not going to have that. So what they did was they created a Facebook. Now, Facebook is amazing. Facebook, you can create your own health Facebook page. You can create right. your own community Facebook page. They created an Assure page. They became 60,000 strong overnight. And unbeknownst to everybody, we've got 60,000 injured women by this medical device. They funded each other. They are professors. They're stay-at-home moms. They're librarians. They're every woman. And they funded each other and they rotated and they never stopped. They had stick to itiveness up on the hill. Every FDA meeting, they became a voice. They became strong. They knocked on every single representative's door. They didn't stop year after year. This was manufactured by Bayer. Bayer, because of these women and that stick to itiveness. And they leveraged each other. That's how they could get it done. They became 50,000 strong, pulled it from the market. Amazing. And their job was to get that message out there so no other women were harmed. So don't be afraid to leverage yourself with your community. You know, in mathematics, one plus one equals two. But in principle, one plus one equals a thousand or more. But stay with it. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't go away at your first setback and stay with it. You can do this. And bit by bit, look around us right now. I know there's great division in this country. And there's a lot of disruption happening. We have this idea and we're taught that disruption is bad. I like disruption. It wakes you up. It gets you off the couch and it gets you involved. And the and disruptors the, of the world are the ones that really affect change. They can. Yes, they can. And I think that that is happening in a moment now for all of us. Look what's happening around you. I think there is more to be enthusiastic about just the fact that we are waking up. We are going to be our own hero. We are going to take charge of our health our backyard. We're not going to stand here anymore and believe the BS that the two-headed frog in the green water is okay because we know better. This isn't right-left. It's right-wrong. And I think you're seeing that in the Me Too movement. I think that you're seeing that with groups and cities and women across this country that are rising up to that. We can change the game. And it's high time that we, the people, have a seat at that table. So grab your chair and pull up and root in and take charge. I know they can do it, and I see it happening everywhere. And when they do, oh, I'm your biggest cheerleader. So I'm <laughs> right around. I pass that torch. I'll run right with you. Um, listen, we are inherently great. I think the problem has been in the past, there's been a false illusion, and we thought somebody would come fix false it. False security, yeah. Absolutely, come fix it for us. And as we wake up and realize that isn't going to happen. We will turn to ourselves again. We will turn to our neighbors again. We will get to our communities. We will leverage ourselves and we can change the outcome. And it's not going to be easy. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take that stick to But go back in history and even look at some of the horribly polluted sites here and Love Canal 
and what they're still pushing through and getting properties back and getting it cleaned up. That's one of the first processes that we can begin to do. Address the failing infrastructure. Begin the cleanup process. What does the cleanup process look like, by the oh, way? Oh, daunting. Daunting. But here's the thing. We're great. Our problem has been we weren't solution-driven because there's this idea there's no money to be made in a solution. Oh, yes, there is. Let's get busy finding the solution. The rhetoric, the back and forth, the division, the dead stops, it's doing us no No, good. no, No good. So let's just set that aside. Let's look at the problem at hand and know one step forward and start even the conversation about what the solution is going to be for this country and our water supply. And listen, we are such a giving country and we will go to other countries and help them. We need to look right inside here. We have a huge problem, but we can fix it and change it. If you'll just begin to even change the mindset, change the perception of yourself and believe that you have a voice, it does count. And when we all come together collectively, we're going to change it. Samuel L. Jackson. Unless you've been living in a closet for the last 27 years, you've heard the name. He is Captain America's boss. He was in Pulp Fiction. He's in a whole lot of credit card commercials, and he's told your kids to go the fuck to sleep. He's kind of a big deal. And he didn't get his first real break in acting until Spike Lee cast him in Jungle Fever in 1991 when he was 43 years old. See, we have a misconception in America that if you do not achieve your purpose, whatever that purpose may be, early in life, it's just not achievable. This idea translates into far too many cultural biases that older Americans need to step aside for the young to come through. That the world is for the young and that if someone lives long enough to be a cute old man or woman, that we can talk down to them and feel good about it. Bullshit. It's why I don't agree that any of the candidates running are too old to be president. Age is not a factor. Ability is what matters. Who is able to beat Trump? Good ideas do not disappear into the wrinkles on a candidate's face. We are more than a nation of millennials, despite what marketing companies and some people on social media would have you believe. In 2004, at the age of 66, Dr. Samuel Lupin had earned a happy retirement. A longtime New York City physician, Lupin also cared for his medically fragile adult daughter, who was ventilator dependent at home. When a medical emergency occurred that forced him to choose between providing home-based care for his daughter and office-based care for his patients, he chose a third option. He started a house calls for the homebound, a full-service medical practice that meets patients where they are. That practice now services 4,000 elderly homebound patients who would have little or no easy access to primary care otherwise. Lupin, now in his 80s, continues to make the world a better place, keeping families together, patients out of hospitals and making a difference for entire generations. It was not too late for Dr. Lupin. In life, our callings do not come at the same time. 
We do not register to vote and suddenly discover our passion and abilities on our 18th birthday. We grow. We learn. And usually it takes finding a problem that needs solving and realizing we are the person who can help solve it for us to truly learn who we are and what we can do. Whenever that call comes, what matters is that we answer. In her book, The Awakening of Helena Ritchie, author Margaret Deland wrote, I have made a rule about such things which I commend to you, young man. As soon as you feel too old to do a thing, do it. You are never too old to change the world. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Sim Sarna and Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our supervising producer is Allison Bresnik. It's edited by Josh Windage. Our production associate is Daniela Silva. Music by Josh Cook and Alicia Eagle. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry Not Sorry. Sorry Not Sorry.